Well, good morning. I want to start with a shout out to Brittany Hodges, who just ran to get batteries for this microphone. Does make it a little easier to preach, so can we give her a hand? Listen, you got to have great people in your life that can run and grab batteries in 10 seconds and get them in the microphone. Well, welcome. My name is Keegan. I am the lead pastor here at our Belton location. If this is your first time, uh, we usually do have batteries in the mic before I start. Uh, but I want to welcome you. I'm so thankful that you would come and worship with us. If you're looking for a home church, I pray that you'll find it here. I will be out in the commons at our guest suite as soon as the service is over, and I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, find out how you got here and, and who invited you and all that good stuff. Uh, we are in week four of an eight-week series called Reframe. Before I get to that, I do want to share one other thing really quick, uh, an update on where we're at with our expansion project. For those of you that uh, have not been following this, we actually are, are looking to renovate and expand this building. We're running out of space uh, with kids and some other areas, and so we're going to be uh, breaking ground with that project. We need uh, $400,000 to uh, solidify uh, that next step and be able to do that and break ground. So that's what we're going towards. We're already past that. Come on, somebody. It's good to be more than halfway to your goal. Uh, so I have noticed we're at around 210,000. We've kind of stagnated. We haven't had a lot of, of um, uh, more movement towards that. And so I just want to encourage you again. Uh, there's no condemnation here. But if you call this your home church, uh, I want to encourage you to be a part of this. If you've not uh, already prayed about uh, what you could give towards this project or make a pledge, I would encourage you to do that. Seek the Lord. Ask him. Listen, we know not everybody is, is a millionaire in here and can just write big checks and do all these things. But uh, God calls all of us, no matter where we're at, uh, to be able to sow and to be able to give and to, to play a part. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, there's going to be such a great reward eternally and on the other end when you can look back and see this building being transformed and, and the greater amount of ministry we'll be able to do, more discipleship courses, all kinds of things uh, that we'll have the space to be able to do. Uh, and, and you'll be able to say, you know what, I had a hand in that. I was a part of that. And so it's a very exciting uh, eternal thing as well. So uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. I want to move on to the message today. Uh, we're in week four. Look at your neighbor say, you're halfway there. Well, almost. Actually, Wednesday will be halfway between week four and week five, and then we'll be halfway there, technically. But we're talking about habits this week. Our habits make us or break us, right? That's the reality. The things that we're doing today, somebody said it to me this way a long time ago, said your best decisions... Uh, which could be attached to the habits that you formed, have gotten you to where you're at right now. So if you're looking at your life and you're like, yeah, there's room for improvement here, you need to look at what you need to change to make better habits. Our key scripture in this series has been Jeremiah 29, 13. says this, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? With all your heart. I'm going to keep saying this. Some people want more in their relationship with God. They wonder why there's, it's not more vibrant, that it's not more exciting, that they don't feel uh, close to God as, as, as other people that they talk to. And I can tell you, if you're only seeking God half-heartedly, that's why you're not finding him. You've got to go all in. You've got to go. There's no such thing as, as you know, stepping into this Christian life for a little bit and then stepping back out and, and giving God a little bit of attention this week but then ignoring him for three weeks. It's not how it works. Right? And we know this from even our natural relationships. Every healthy, great relationship takes intentionality. It takes you being all in. Come on, have any of you, and we've got a couple of uh, couples that have uh, been here today that are getting ready to get married. Right? They're getting ready to make this commitment. I guarantee you they're not going to stand up there and say, I today half-heartedly commit myself to you. 
right? That would be a deal breaker, right? You want somebody that's all in with you. That's like, you know what? Whatever mountains we go up and have to climb, whatever obstacles we have to face, I want to know that I've got somebody who's all in with me. It's the same way with God. He wants to know if we're all in. So today we're going to talk about uh, this. Discipline habits, you can write this down or maybe in your notes, are the right things done in the right order at the right time in the right way to produce maximum impact in our lives. There are, there is a right way, right? And there's things that we have to do first before we can do other things. This is why they don't start your toddler off with calculus, right? There's fundamentals. There's things that we learn that we uh, get an understanding of and we grow in. And then as we mature, guess what? We have the ability, the capacity to understand even more and to to learn even greater things, more complex things. It's the same in our walk with God. He's not going to speak to us the same things when we're newborn Christians as he would hope to want to be able to share with us as more mature believers. Does that make sense? And so we've got to be disciplined in allowing God to take us from season to season, like we talked about last week, and to grow us into greater and greater uh, knowledge of him and closeness with him. John Maxwell said this, you cannot grow unless you are willing to change. How many of you just love change? You're here for it. Some of y'all do love change, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it to you in, in one second. How many of you just despise change? You avoid it at all costs. You're like, nope. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, like, we're good. Can I tell you, God is going to change things in your life. And you will not grow unless you can accept him wanting to change things. And here's the deal. When it comes down to it, we all actually do love change. Especially if it's positive. If I said every one of you was going to get a $10,000 a year increase in your paycheck for doing the exact same job, how many of you would love that change? Nobody would complain about that. You do love change. You just don't like change that makes you feel uncomfortable, right? And we're all there. We're like, I don't know what this is going to look like on the other side of it. If we make this decision, if we move to that place, if we start coming to Vintage Church more than once a year, I don't know what will happen. But we will be stunted in our growth. And he says this in continuing, and you will not change unless you change something you do every day. Every day. We're all very habitual people, right? Some of us don't think of ourselves as being that disciplined. But even to those people, I would say, do you shower every day without even thinking about it? It's just part of your habit? Yeah. Do you eat every day? Yeah, right? We all are way more disciplined than we oftentimes even want to give ourselves credit for. We just don't think of things. What we struggle with is being disciplined in the things that take more work and take more effort. And are a little bit harder, right? And cost us a little bit more. Those are the areas that we tend to struggle with. But unless we change something every day, we're not going to grow. Look at this. Some studies on habits have shown that 45% of our habits are done in unconsciousness. Right? There's a lot of things. Have you ever been in your car and you meant to go to a store and you end up at work? You just subconsciously, you were thinking about something else, and you just knew. When I got to this, you know, Sefco, I turned left, and then when I get to this, you know, BJ's, I turned right, and I like I might bring up BJ's in every message for the rest of the year and see if I get any free lunches or something. But so much of our, our habits, when they're so ingrained that they become, in a sense, who we are, we can do them even in our subconscious, right? And, and this would be an amazing goal that we would have the spiritual disciplines of worship and prayer and 
uh, and reading our Bibles and studying God's Word, what if those became part of the things that we did without even having to think about it? It's, it, a matter of fact, it would be strange if we had a day where we didn't do those things. That should be a goal that we should all have in our walk and in our maturity with Christ. There are automatic responses to environmental cues. The problem is most of the environments we find ourselves in are not always godly environments. Do you know God knows that? God knows that you don't live and work in a church every single day. I do, but that's not everybody, right? And even still, there's times that, that we, we have things we have to deal with that aren't just easy, you know, loving little floaty things, whatever. We're going to all have environments that cause us to struggle at times. That's not to say they're bad or, or even like your workplace. It may be a neutral uh, place for the most part. And what I mean by that is maybe you go to work and they're not hating on you because of your faith. But they're also not celebrating you because of your faith. Right? It's just a non-issue that people don't talk about it. They don't bring it up. Everyone just goes to their cubicle or goes to their desk and does their thing. Uh, but still those environments and the repetitive behaviors that occur in them create habits. Uh, you can fill in this blank. Habits are a vehicle to become what you believe. Habits are the way to get there. We're going to see as we watch, uh, if, well, maybe you watch, maybe you won't, but as the Summer Olympics come up in Paris, you're going to see people who have had to exercise and implement and have tremendous discipline in their life to be able to get their bodies to, to be able to perform and do the things that they're going to do to compete at the highest level on the planet. Right? It takes a lot of discipline. And what's interesting is, and we're going to talk about rest here in a moment, is some of, uh, I heard someone say this, I think, last week. The greatest difference even between an Olympian, an Olympic-level athlete, and even some uh, professional athletes in other uh, areas is that they're disciplined in even their rest. Right? Anyone can get in the gym and be a, a gym rat or gym rattress. That's the female gym rat. Anybody can do that, right? I work out 17 hours a day. How do you still have a job, first of all? I want to know that. But, but that's not, that's not a, a making your body healthy and making your body whole. You can literally run your own body ragged. But rest is just as important. you got to know, once I've exerted myself, what do I need to do to let my body recover? Right? And more and more studies are talking and revealing and showing the importance of recovery. So whether you know it or not, you typically don't choose your habits. Most people imitate habits that are handed down from the family, friends, education centers, social influences, and even church, and we imitate them. You ever find yourself doing that? What was that old uh, joke one time uh, that was going, I think it goes around around Thanksgiving, where the person cuts the head off of the turkey or whatever, I don't know what it is, and, and they're like, why do, you, why do you do that? Why don't you just put it all in the pot? It's like, well, that's how my mom did it. And then, you know, and then they're like, well, why does she do it? Well, that's, that's how grandma did it. And then you go back and you find out the only reason that the head got cut off is because the first uh, person that was cooking it didn't have a pot big enough to fit the thing in it with the head on it. But it just got handed down. So it's just a habit. So we just, we, that's what we do, even though our pot's three times bigger and we don't have to do that, right? We're very much uh, impressionable and we can pick up the same habits of those that are around us if we're not careful. And that doesn't mean they're all bad. Some are very good. Our truest identity as sons and daughters of God should inform and shape our habits. Our default habits should not shape us. So as we think about it, let's look at our key passage in John 15, 1 through 4 in the New Living Translation. Who has your Bible? Come on, show it to me. Real Christians have what? Real Bibles. That's right. You got to get a real Bible. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one today. It says this, I am the true grapevine. 
And my father is the gardener. Matter of fact, let me read out of my Bible. It always hits better when, when I read out of my own Bible. John 15, 1 through 4. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. We could spend the rest of our time this morning literally unpacking those four verses. What is Jesus telling us? He's telling us there are going to be times that there's going to be things in your life that he's going to come into your life and say, that's dead and done and needs to be cut off. That branch, there's no reviving it. There's no saving it. It's useless. You don't want to carry around and have a dead branch just laying off of you. It's got to be cut off. And then there's things in our lives that he looks at and says, you know what? That's producing a little fruit. That's a good thing. But I'm going to prune it so that it can produce even greater fruit. That thing doesn't need to be cut off, and you don't need to start over, but you're already on the right track. But I just want to help you produce even more fruit. Come on, do you think pruning feels good? No. How many of you have ever been pruned in your Christian walk? Yeah. Where God's like, you've actually asked God, hey, God, is there anything in my life you want to you deal with? Come on, that's a good but dangerous question. But real, real followers of Christ ask those questions. God, what's in my life right now that needs to be cut off and cut out? And some of y'all are like, I'm not asking that. He might say sports. And some of you are like, he might say Starbucks. Oh, see, now we're having church. For some of y'all, it's video games. For some of y'all, it's going out to eat. For some of y'all, it's whatever, fill in the blank. There's things in our life that God says, you know what? That thing needs to be cut out. It's holding you back from what I've called and what I have for you. And the question is, are you going to be willing to let it go? And then he says, the key to all of it, we have to remain in him. See, like I said, you cannot live a successful Christian life just dabbling with God. I give him, you know, I come, you know, once every three months and, and, and get my, you know, my whatever on. I don't know why I did this. But the reality is, you, that's not how the Christian life works. You've got to be committed. You've got to be all in. It's got to be day after day after day that you are steadily walking with God. Right? Nobody could have a successful relationship if they just, you know, I text you once every three months. That's not a relationship. It's the same with God. You've got to give your time and attention. I love this, John 15, 16. You didn't choose me. We didn't choose God. It says right here. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now, before you get off and think, oh, well, I, I was wanting a Ferrari. That's not what we're talking about. It's not just, he's not a genie up there. Just, you know, tell me your wish and I will give you whatever. No, it's not how it works. But he will give us everything that we need when we ask in his name. Everything that's in accordance with his will and his word for our lives. God must do something. If you get nothing else out of today, get this. God must do something in us before he can do something through us. I like to say it like this. You can't sell anything you don't own. Right? You can't be, you're not going to be a great exhibitor of the love of Christ if you haven't known the love of Christ. You're not going to be 
uh, great at being kind if you haven't experienced in, in God's kindness and you're not uh, letting that be in your life, letting that be a fruit in your life, right? You, you've got to own these things. You've got to let God first work them out in your life, and then you have something to share with others. That's why in Ezekiel, I think it's in chapter 3, when God had a message to get to his people, he first told Ezekiel, listen, you first take the message and chew on it. Before you go shout it out and tell it to other people, you've got to first deal with it in your own life, in your own heart. Most of our life, God is trying to work out things in us so that he can then work things through us. We're vessels, and we can either be closed-off vessels or we can be open vessels that God can use freely to reach who he wants to reach through us. So with that in mind, let's dive in and talk about how to reframe these habits. Before we talk about establishing great habits, we got to first look at how we deal with bad ones. Number one, breaking bad habits. Look at Romans 7, 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Have you ever been there? See, here's the thing. One of my favorite books in all the Bible is Romans because Romans leaves no question of the state that we're in in our sinful nature and, and acknowledging and showing our need for Christ. So many people today are not interested in Jesus. They don't think they need Jesus. Why? Because they really don't think they need to be saved from anything. Like, I don't know what you weird Christians are all worried about. You know, you're talking about you need to be saved. I don't have any sins. Like, I'm a good person. I do my job. I'm nice. I don't, you know, hurt anybody. We don't understand. That's why if you're going to share the gospel with people, before they'll understand their need for, you know, accepting Jesus, they got to understand why they need a Savior. And it's right here. Romans says it plainly. I know nothing good lives in me. You ever heard people say in the world, well, we're all pretty much good people. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're never as kind as we really think that we are. Like, we overestimate our own goodness, right? We think we're way kinder than we are. We think we're way uh, less self-centered than we really are, right? We, th we really, if we're just assessing ourselves, we're always going to give ourselves an A+. Plus, right? Well, in my own eyes, I'm pretty good. That's why Jesus says someone else needs to judge you, beginning with him and his word. Let God be the judge of who you are and how good you are, right? We have no goodness in and of ourselves. It only comes from him. Verse 23, but there is another power within me. Somebody say another power. That is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Paul recognized that he, he was enslaved. There's nothing he could do about his situation. There's no amount of willpower that can make you live a perfect life, sinless. Where you'll always say the right thing. You'll always have the right motive. You'll always be the kindest. You'll never have any hate. You'll never have any bitterness. You'll never whatever. It doesn't exist outside of Christ. But look what he says in verse 25. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is an answer. God doesn't leave us in this state of depravity. He doesn't expose it where we're at just to leave us there. He's too good for that. He says there's an answer, and it's Jesus Christ. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Do you know God created the law so that people would come to this very conclusion? 
that what the law does is, is exposes the fact that we are not actually good. It's real quiet in here today. Right? That's why our, our life goal is not about just starting from good and, and being better. No, it's about recognizing that we're sinful and we need to be transformed into a new creation. Be born again. That's what Jesus said. Right? It's not about just taking, you know, let's just work on this. Let's just carve out. Let's take. No, you, we need to be totally made new in Christ. Three ways that we break from bad habits. Number one, identify them. You got to identify them. And I'll tell you some good advice. If, if you're having a hard time identifying the bad habits in your own life, ask the people who know you best to help you. Come on, some of you that are married, no one knows your bad habits better than your spouse. Right? Ask them. Be vulnerable. Be humble enough to, to, to sit down with your spouse and not in a, you know, this is, oh, this is my shot. I'm about to, oh, I'm glad you asked. I had a list. That's not what I'm talking about. But ask them, say, you know what? I want to grow in Christ. I don't want anything to hold me back. Do you see any habits in my life that are keeping me from fulfilling God's call in my life and becoming everything that he wants me to be? And then if they love you, they'll tell you the truth. Yeah, you need to, I, I think this is something I see you do all the time and, and repetitively and repeatedly that you need to give up. It's holding you back. It's taking up way too much of your time. I see you always end up nothing but stressed over it. And for some of you, it might even be a practical thing. You know, like you just, you get three hours of sleep a night. I've never been, I've never been around anyone who's been sleep deprived that's been in a good mood. Or hasn't been short with people. Or easily irritated. Come on, we all know. What, what, what are we like when we don't have enough sleep? Some of y'all, one great habit you could start is giving yourself enough rest to be ready to handle another day. Not just playing video games or watching that game as it goes into 1,500 innings. Or I'm so glad they shortened the baseball thing. It's so much more fun. And I grew up on East Coast time. Like, if you were going to watch some of these playoffs, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. Guess what? Come on, we got work to do the next day. But if you're just somebody who's staying up till all hours of the night and you're not giving your body the rest you need, man, you're going to burn out. And along the way, you're going to be a miserable person to be around. Same with, you know, when you get hangry. Come on. We'll keep going. Identify them. Then ask for help. You know, ask your people closest to you. You could ask people that are mentors in your life. You could ask, shoot, if you really want to be brave, go ask people who don't have to give you an answer uh, based on their relationship with you. Ask people who, like, you know, they're, they're going to be okay if they hurt your feelings. They're willing to tell you the truth that much. Then, you, then you'll really find out. Ask your coworkers what they think about how you treat them and your habits at work. And number three, replace the habit. It's not good enough just to identify it. It's not just good enough to, to, to try and remove it from your life. You've got to fill it with something else. You know, uh, when I was younger and, and I would... Be, we were in ministry, and we would talk to, to guys a lot about how to, you know, live pure and, and, and hold out until you get married to, to you know, to get in, too involved physically and um, with opposite sex and all that. And, and a lot of times, you know, guys would struggle with this, and a lot of the help that was out there for them was uh, these things of like, well, well, just, you know, know your triggers and do all this stuff. It was a lot of behavior modification kind of stuff to try and, you know, 
keep you from getting into the situation where you would be tempted, you know, and, and those things were helpful. But then I came across a book uh, that this guy had written, and he was talking about the, our appetites, right? Like we have these natural and these spiritual appetites. And what he was saying is the best way to not care about the, the temptation is to be so satisfied in God that there's no room left, right? If you, if you feel, if you're so satisfied with God, then, then lesser things that the enemy wants to offer you, they're not even going to be that appealing, that's the greatest way to overcome temptations and overcome things in your life. You have to fill it with something, right? You can't just say, well, I'm going to break this habit. Okay, how? And then and what are you going to put in its place? You got to put something healthy in its place. Number two, how to build habits for spirit, soul, and body. Three healthy habits uh, for your spirit. Number one, leverage your morning. Start the day with prayer and scripture. How many of you have a habit of that? Several of you. Great. And I'm glad that the rest of you are honest, saying, you know what? I don't have a habit of that right now. But can I encourage you? Develop a habit of that. What better way to start our day than God's word? I mean, he literally knows best how to do this thing called life. And yet, so often, he's the last resort. He's the last one that we go to to ask about anything instead of starting our day. We start our day more with Instagram and Facebook. Come on, anybody there? We do. We get up and it's like, oh, it's just so easy. One click and I'm in. Can I tell you, your YouVersion app or your real Bible is just as good? I would say your real Bible is even better. Don't even pick the phone up. Matter of fact, you could try this for this week. Bible on the phone challenge. I just made that up. <laughs> Take your Bible, put it on top of your phone. So you literally have to remove God's word to get to your phone before you start your day. I'm going to try that myself. Turn the alarm off for it? Sure. But my point is, it's literally little things like that. It's little intentionality like that that makes all the difference, and you begin to get into this habit. Psalm 5.3 says, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. Do you know it's okay to tell God what you need for the day? He's not mad about it. He's, he's excited to hear it. because that. But... By the fact that you're bringing him your request lets him know that you're trusting in him and that you know he cares for you. He delights in that. Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This was David. And we're going to go through in the summer, we're going to uh, do a, a series on Psalms. And this is one uh, passage, one Psalm that we're going to get into talking about the word of God, how much David treasured God's word and wanted to know it and understand it. Not just so that he could have this great theology and head knowledge, but so that he could live a life that truly pleased God. Which is, make no mistake, the highest aim of our life. To live a life that pleases God and brings him glory. That's, that's the be all end all of our lives. Number two, regular church attendance. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 says this, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now I know it's like, of course the pastor wants you to show up every week to church. So he'll feel better about himself or feel better about... No, listen, you showing up to church is not about me. It's about you and the other people that God has called you to walk life with. Does that make sense? Oh, it's real quiet in here. I'm telling you, it, it, 
Coming to church is not just about getting what we need. Coming to church is about uh, being a part of God's spiritual family and being here to encourage and lift up and build up the faith of those around you. And God commands us to gather. Why? Because he knows it's, it's good for us. You never know when, when something you've just walked through and your testimony and you're bragging on God and how he came through for you in your life is going to absolutely be the thing that a person who's going through the same thing right now needs to hear. And I'm telling you, there are times when people will be out in that commons and they'll share something that God has is, is, uh, just done in their life that'll be more profound than even the message they heard from me. Yes, it's a real thing. We've got to be, we've got to gather. And I love this because in this passage, you know, there's a lot of people nowadays that their church attendance just wavers. There's so much of, you know, this decline, which is really ironic because churches are offering more and more services and more times for people to come and gather than ever in the history of the American church. And yet with that, what are we seeing? People actually come less and less. Why? Because they're allowing, they're not listening and heeding to God's word. And they're allowing the enemy to distract them and to just pull them away and tell them, oh, you don't need that. You can go next week. I, I'm telling you, I, some days I'm just like, you know what? I'm thinking about just going to one service. I won't, but I think about what if we just did one service and we had, you know, people everywhere because it was just so full. And people made it a priority that that's, they were going to come and gather with God's people and it mattered enough telling you, it, well, I don't want to run you all off. I'm just saying, I, I heard somebody the other day, uh, and I don't know their name, so I'm glad, but they shared with someone else, they're like, yeah, uh, he went too long in one of those services, and so I just, I'm, I'm coming to the other one, and I was thinking, well, then I'll go along in that service too. <laughs> no, but he, here's what I was really thinking. Man, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have stayed for the whole Sermon on the Mount then. Like, can we just say it? You, you, you would have been like, okay, Jesus, I'm sorry. That was a good, I, I gave you 50 minutes, but I got other stuff to do. And you know what he would have done? He would have let you walk away. He wouldn't have chased you. He would have let you go in, until you realized there's, no one else has the words of life. And you know what? It is worth sitting a little longer. And I'm not saying that to give myself a license to preach longer, but I'm telling you what I'm never going to do is, is be confined to this box of 60 minutes because the American churchgoer doesn't want to be in church more than 60 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. It doesn't mean I'm just going to ramble for the sake of rambling. But I'm telling you, what What happened? What happened? God's not a priority. That's what happened. I got to be out, you know, 16 weeks because my kids got traveling this or traveling that. Okay, so when are you gathering with, with, with your church family? People don't talk to me about this kind of stuff. I think they know why. Because <laughs> I think they already know the answer I'm going to give them. My kids, like, freaking out, and, and I can't get them. They don't care about God. Well, what are you modeling to them? Where's God in your priorities? They care more about volleyball than they do whatever. Well, yeah. Okay, I'll keep going. 
Serve and give regularly. Serving. 1 Peter 4.10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What is your gift for? Serve one another. How do you do that when you're just by yourself? Oh, I've got an internet ministry. Come on now. I've been blessing people through YouTube. Come on, we don't need any more YouTube sensations. We need people who are willing to get real with people in real life and help them and minister to them and share their gifts with them. Right? And giving, Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. I always, I marvel when people are so against giving. It's like, you just don't want God to bless you? There's no place in the Bible where God encourages his people to give that he's not giving a tremendous blessing because of it. No one has ever been cursed for giving. And, I, and when it comes to the tithe, I'm, I'm just telling people, if you go through Membership you, you'll hear me say this. I'm not going to have a real co- big conversation with you about whether or not the tithing is biblical or Old Testament or New Testament. Listen, tithing is a principle that God set in place even before the law. And, and, and I've never seen God not bless people who give faithfully. Never. In 44 years. And I was raised with a single mom for most of my life. And there were times when she worked multiple jobs, still didn't know where stuff was going to come from. And I would watch my mother tithe before paying a bill. And guess what? All the bills got paid. I'm just telling you, if you want to know where I stand on that, I'm going to tell you. I, I, you cannot outgive God. He literally says, try it. He's literally up there going, I can't wait to pour out this blessing that you don't even have room for. And it's not just money. It's, it's other things. God's blessing is, is all-encompassing. You're wondering why, you know. Yeah, that's a whole other message. But be a giver. Our God is the most generous. Did he not first give everything to us? I'm telling you, and I'm going to challenge you a little bit. There's some people who are like, well, I'm not going to give to that. You know, they're asking for money to make the building better. Listen, you can have that heart, but I'm telling you, you will lose out on a blessing. And, and here's the thing you need to know. God will still get the building built. God will still provide. But you will miss out on being a part of it. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Get you out of here and get you over to BJ's. Three healthy habits for your soul. Number one, you got to rule your emotions. Ephesians 4.26, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Here's all I'm going to say about that. It's okay to get angry at times. We all do. What matters is that you deal with it quickly and that you don't act out in it and sin. Right? You're going to get angry. Come on. If If you're responsible for anything and something goes wrong, at some point in your life, you're going to get angry. That's okay, but give that anger to God and deal with it quickly. Don't let time just go and say, oh, I'm just going to bury this. And then resentment sets in and bitterness and all these other things. Deal with it quickly. Practice gratitude daily. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances. Which circumstances? All. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Every one of us has things we can thank God for. You can start with the fact that he put breath in your lungs this morning. 
You have a job. It may not be your dream job, but you have a job. You have food on your table. You have clothing. You have transportation. You have things to be thankful for. Don't let those things just become trivial. Pause and thank God that he's given you another day on this earth. Practice daily affirmations. Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And here's the thing about affirmations. I'm not talking about these superficial, worldly affirmations of like, I'm the greatest. I just write it on my mirror every morning. I'm the greatest. No, I'm talking about affirmations. Find out what God says about who you are. And recite those things. Meditate on those things. God says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I posted on a, I shared it on Instagram. I saw something yesterday or the day before. Some Planned Parenthood post that said, uh, we recommend that, that you ask, all, ask your toddlers uh, if they're a boy or a girl. And then, and then affirm that and go along with that. So I wrote on the top of that, this is garbage. I don't have, you know, five million people following me, so they, most people didn't see it. But the reality is, though, that kind of thing, we've got a, that's a false affirmation. And I love what some guy put who, who had seen that post. He put, my kid, has, they think that they've been Spider-Man for two years. <laughs> like, this is why we don't let toddlers tell us who they are. No, we're the adults. We're the mature ones. We know God made you to be a boy. He made you to be a girl. He has great purpose and destiny for you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were fashioned by God. Don't let, you know. Those are the kind of affirmations. You need to be telling your kid. Listen, some of you, you, you may have kids. I've had this uh, conversation before. Someone's like, listen, my, my daughter's, you know, or, or whatever, a teenager, and they've decided that they, they think that they like, you know, other girls. And it's like, what do I do? I'll tell you what you do. You only affirm what's true, not the lie that they're believing right now. So it's okay to, set, to tell them. And I like saying stuff like this because people don't know how to have this conversation. It's okay to say, hey, I understand what you're feeling, but that is not the truth of who you are. And that is not God's best for you. That is not God's plan for you. Does that make sense? You only affirm what is true and what is right. You can acknowledge, the, the, you can validate what they're feeling, but to help them understand that is not from God. I'll keep going. Three healthy habits for your body. I won't, I'll fly through these because we're also going to get into this in another message in this series. Uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, Don't you realize, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Come on, our bodies are not our own. When people say, you know, well, it's my body, it's my choice. Listen, it's not. It's God's body. You know, and people always get into that conversation about women and, and their choice and, and abortion and all that. Can I just tell you, I'm pro-life. I'm always going to be pro-life. God knows in every situation. And if there's a life there, God made that life. And we should value that life. We should allow that life. And I'm telling you, God can help you with all the rest. He can help you with all the rest. I've seen it over and over. My mom was uh, in ministry in, in a, a CareNet Pregnancy Center for about 10 years. And she would tell me the stories of even those women that, you know, were just so staunch on, well, this is my body. Nobody's going to tell me. And it's like she would watch them. And she would watch the, the stronghold that the enemy would get on them. 
because they, did, they didn't understand that our bodies are not our own, that we're meant to glorify God with our bodies. Some of y'all need to take better care of your body. So do I. About 15 pounds right here. I need to get better. And I've talked about this before. It doesn't mean, you know, you're supposed to look like some celebrity or some whatever, you know, it, but it's about being healthy. Why? So you can do what God has called you to do. You can't do it if you don't have the energy and if you're worn out and if you're sick and if you're, you know, debilitated. And most of the stuff that we see in this country is a result of people's own choices. Oh, you didn't want to come to church to hear the truth. I'm sorry. But this is the truth. Your body is not your own. You need to ask God how you should steward your body. Every one of us has a healthy weight that, we should, that should be our goal. And if you don't know what that healthy weight is, get with a doctor. It's not about comparison, right? My healthy weight for my f- structure and my frame is not going to be the same as the next person. David will always weigh more than me. Why? Because he's like a foot and a half taller than me, right? He's, he's got more skeletal, you know, to, to move around and haul around. He needs more muscle than me. Are you, are you good? I didn't lose you? Okay, so real quick, plan to eat well, plan for exercise, plan for rest and Sabbath keeping. Come on, you're like, oh, I just don't ever have any time. That's why it's always Whataburger or McDonald's or Taco Bell, and then I do the cycle again. Listen, plan better. Stop long enough to get some healthy food. Keep some apples or something that will last in your car, you know, in a cooler or something. And have a better snack available for when you're hungry and you need something and you're on the run. Right? But we can't keep destroying our bodies by not exercising, not resting, and then just be like, God, can you just heal me from this sickness? He's like, you shouldn't even have the sickness. I'm telling you, go look it up. Most of the stuff that people are dealing with is, is a result of their own lifestyle choices. And a lot of things can be reversed with better habits, better lifestyle choices. And that's a godly thing. Mark 2, 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If you're working seven days a week, 16 hours a day, and you're proud of it, I'm telling you, that's nothing to brag about. That's not God's best for you. I appreciate your gumption to, like, want to provide and do whatever it takes. But I can tell you, you will burn out. God did not intend for you to not have a Sabbath. You've got to take breaks. You've got to learn to rest well. And finally, bonus habit, the habit of sharing the gospel. We all could do better at this. Now, sharing the gospel doesn't mean that every single day you need to have a box that I'm going to run through the Romans road with one person every day. I mean, if you do get the opportunity to do that, great. But can I just tell you, share the love of Christ. Be willing to start a conversation. Be willing to follow a conversation that God could take there at any moment, every day. And I would say at least once a week, you should be able to find some way to steer a conversation with somebody. And Hey, do you know what God thinks about you? Can I just tell you what God's been doing in my life? You wonder why I'm I'm happy? You wonder why I'm extra excited? Well, it's because God just did this. Brag on God. And that'll lead to sharing the gospel. We think it's so complicated, like it has to be a mini sermon that you have to have packaged so well that you can just deliver it in a 30-second pitch on an elevator. That's not what it means. Sharing the gospel is you bragging about God and what he's done in your life, the difference that he's making, the reason your family is still together, the reason you can still have joy in a hard time. Make that a habit. And as we close... A word of caution, good habits, 
with bad motives bring glory to self instead of glory to God. That's not what we want. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Even good habits with the wrong motives are not a good thing. Our lives are meant to bring glory to God, not our own. Right? If you become some fitness superstar, don't, don't just, you know, try and get all the attention for yourself. Bring that glory to God. Give Him the credit. After all, if He didn't create those muscles and give you the oxygen to breathe to go work out, you wouldn't be building those muscles. Right? It all comes back to Him. And finally, good habits with godly motives bring glory to God and blessings to you and others. I can just tell you, when you've got greater habits in your life, and you're living your life the way God wants you to live it, everyone around you benefits. Everyone around you benefits. You're kinder. You're more loving. You're, you start having the fruit of the Spirit, right, where you're slower to speak, slower to get angry, slower to get irritated. Everyone around you feels better when you're living right. My last verse for you, Joshua 1, 8 through 9. Study this book. Everyone should memorize this scripture. Study this book of instruction continually. How often? Continually. Not once a week or once a month. Meditate on it day and night. When should you be thinking about God's word? Day and night. So you will be sure to obey. To do what? Not just know it, but obey it. Everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. How many of you want to prosper and succeed in all that you do? Come on, this is the way you get there. This is the way you get there. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Come on, you need to put that on your fridge. Joshua 1.8. Love God's word. Value it. Treasure it, just like David did. And spend your time learning how to be obedient to it. Go God's way, and things will work out for you. I promise. They may not work out the way you want them to, but they will work out when you go God's way. I want to pray for you this morning, and then I'll let you go eat or do whatever else you're doing. You don't need my permission to do whatever you're doing after this. But if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. It can happen in a moment. It'll take the rest of your life to grow and walk with Him. But you can start that relationship in just one moment and be right with God. What do I mean by that? I mean you'll be in right standing with God, where your sins can be forgiven because of the greatness of what He has done, the price that He paid to go to that cross and to suffer that death and to die in your place and in my place. And then He rose again, conquering sin and death, so that we too, like we sang about this morning, could be risen with Him. That's the other resurrection that we're talking about, us being resurrected in Christ and starting this new life. And for those of you that have, uh, you've dabbled in a relationship with God, but if you're honest, he's really not number one in your life. He's not the priority that everything else gets oriented around. And today you're realizing, you know what, God, enough is enough. I'm ready to submit to you, to surrender to you, to make you, it puts you in the proper place in my life that you're supposed to be. I want to apply your word more and more. And I want to form the habits that will lead me to the life that pleases you. If you're in either one of those two places, you want to give your life to Christ today for the very first time where you want to recommit your life 
and go all in for the rest of your life. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Thank you for those hands. Come on, can we celebrate that? Thank you for being bold. Jesus said, if you'll acknowledge me before men, then I will acknowledge you before my Father. That's why we do it with our heads up and our eyes open. Come on, it's a great thing. It's an exciting thing. You're surrounded. Everyone in this room is ready to, to help you and encourage you as you begin this journey with Christ. And we're going to have something for you at the end as well to get started. But uh, let's just say a prayer, church. Let's say this all together. And if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to say this from your heart directly to God. Just repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for, sh for, for helping me to see my need for you, that there's nothing good in me apart from you. I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior just like everyone else. And today, I choose to receive your free gift of salvation. I believe that you died on that cross and you rose again to give me new life. And so today, of my own free will, I surrender to you, I submit to you, and I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to be my king, to be my master. I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, give them another hand.